Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play what's up open floor globe this is ben dalver with the washington post i am joined on the other line by michael the pod pina now michael we have a really fun trade season preview to kind of dig into a lot of big names kind of uh, popping up here whether it's going to be buyouts whether it's going to be trades i can't wait to get into that but today happens to be march 11th the one-year anniversary of the NBA's shutdown from last year. And I was just curious briefly, Michael, now that we've uh, both aged a year, I can't believe how many podcasts we've done in the past year, probably something like uh, 100 or more since the shutdown. God knows what we've been talking about. What was your biggest, most lasting memory uh, from March 11th or a sensation or a moment or you know, just anything that sticks with you here one year later? I mean, the, the feeling of just like total uncertainty really uh, is easy to recall um, in my mind. I mean, I remember where I was exactly when I got the tweet notification that Rudy Gobert had tested positive for coronavirus. And then like it felt like 30 seconds later, um, uh, the season was being suspended indefinitely. And somewhere in between Tom Hanks uh, my wife told me that he got coronavirus, so it was just, uh, I mean, I was talking about this this morning when I woke up with my wife, but, like, I can't believe that was already a year ago, and it seems so, so, so far away, um, but the feelings that I have are still so vivid, and I don't even have a good memory, but I, I just remember, like, walking around, staying up until... Uh, really late in the morning watching SportsCenter, which I don't usually do just because uh, like I was just watching replays of Mark Cuban sitting at the the last Mavs game in disbelief when he got the news um, and like getting up and leaving the court. Uh, it, it's just like a lot of different little scattershot um, 
memories for me. But yeah, what a ridiculous night that was. Yeah, I mean, it came at us all so fast, and yet we probably should have been more ready for it than we were collectively. You know, not just Mark Cuban, not just the NBA owners, but all of us. I remember getting lots of warning emails from the Italian listeners uh, to various podcasts saying, hey, this is coming for you. Be ready for it. It's going to completely change your life. And really not making all that many preparations. You know, I was at home. I uh, started to get some text messages about it, you know, before it was really breaking. And I just remember my hands kind of shaking, which doesn't happen too often. You know, it's like it, it takes some pretty serious news to do that. Um, my first feeling, though, was relief because I was supposed to go to a Lakers Rockets game the next night. And I was pretty uncomfortable uh, about the idea. You know, I just really didn't want to have to go into that building, but I sort of felt professionally obligated to do it. And so when we first heard there was going to be a shutdown, I was like, "Woo! thank God, I don't have to go into the, the gym tomorrow. And it took probably like 48 hours really for it to sink in. It's like, well, look, man, like you might not be going into a gym for a while. It could be a long time before, um, you know, life is going to get back to normal. And certainly that's kind of bared out. So we all process that differently in real time. I remember watching the scene in Oklahoma City just with my, my jaw down. I'll never forget the crowd booing. And in the moment, I think that they were booing the decision not to hold the game. But the way I like to imagine it, Michael, is that they were booing the coronavirus on behalf of all of us. What do you think? <laughs> no, that, yeah, that's a good um, good way to remember things. Um, a a little more insight. poetic that way, right? Yes, because otherwise, exactly. it's just like, oh, we're plowing through. It's not going to go great. Um, it has been an absolutely unforgettable year in lots of ways. And uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of good journalism out there, you know, marking that one year anniversary today. I encourage people uh, to dig into that and to, you know, send in your own memories of the year that was openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. All right, enough with that, Michael. No longer living in the past. We are living in the present and the future because NBA trade deadline season is right around the corner now. The official deadline is March 25th, which is a little bit different, you know, in terms of the time of calendar, um, obviously later than the typical deadline and after the All-Star break uh, by a, a decent amount because of the schedule changes this year. But already we've seen some activity. Uh, the Detroit Pistons agreed to buy out Blake Griffin. He decided to join the Brooklyn Nets. You've got LaMarcus Aldridge and the Spurs are now kind of like mutually agreeing to part ways and they're going to figure out if that's by trade or by buyout. And I'm sure we're going to see an awful lot of other names come up uh you know here over the next couple of weeks now will they be big names to me that's an open question and i guess i wanted to uh start big picture michael i mean how many buyers and sellers do you really see out there um and do you feel like this is going to be a busy uh trade deadline or do we already kind of see the biggest move of the season with james harden hmm i mean i i feel like there are so many more um, teams that feel like they can win the NBA championship than teams that uh, should be in a position where they can sell off and kind of look towards their future. Because I, I just think th that the play-in, and I've mentioned this before, I think the play-in adds this variable here where a team like, for example, the Chicago Bulls, a team that should be selling, um, the veterans that they have can look themselves in the mirror and say, you know, we could make the playoffs and they should be excited about doing that and having some momentum and getting their young players some experience in a, a postseason environment, which is important. So uh, I, I think that that is really going to cool the market a little bit would be my, my prediction on it. Plus, 
the fact that a lot of the contenders and the really great teams like the Clippers, the Lakers, etc., like they don't have a lot of things to move to to seriously upgrade what they already have. So those factors, unfortunately, um, could make things a little bit more frigid than we like. And, uh, you know, there are some names out there that could move Victor Oladipo, potentially Kyle Lowry. That would be nice. I think that could shake things up a little bit. But I I think generally speaking, we're not going to get the, the frenzy that all of us really would enjoy seeing. No, I actually agree. I think it's going to be more about the, the money this time rather than about the talent or the players. Um, I think the Blake Griffin situation is very good illustration of that. He gave up $13.3 million in that buyout, and that's kind of like a footnote to the entire idea because he's obviously going from one of the league's worst teams to one of the league's top contenders. That's no small amount of money, Michael. Now, of course, as salaries increase, you know, buyout uh, amounts are going to increase as well, and he's obviously set for life, so he doesn't necessarily need it, and it was worth it to him. But that's a huge amount of money that's going to make a real difference for a team like the Detroit Pistons, particularly in a situation where we're in right now, where there's you know limited fans at best, and, and all these teams are kind of bleeding financially. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if there's other players who are interested in buyout talks, whether that could be a more pronounced aspect of this year's trade deadline, just because teams are trying to you know save money uh, where they can. So that, that, that would be one thing I would say keep an eye on. Now, mm-hmm. usually guys who are getting bought out, they're not the marquee name players who are going to really be changing something by a trade. And so I completely agree with you on that. It could be just a little bit of a busier buyout season than we're typically used to because of the financial implications of the pandemic that these teams are working through. So you mentioned there's a bunch of teams who are angling as contenders who would be possible buyers. Just real quick, list those teams off for me. How many do you have on your list? Uh, quite a few, Ben. Quite a few. <laughs> Probably more than you, I would say. Um, I have the Lakers, the Clippers, the Jazz the Nuggets, I'm going to say, is, are a contender. And I'm also going to throw in the Phoenix Suns in this conversation. Um, those are all the teams in the West right now that I just, I think should be operating as um, as championship contenders. And then uh, in the East, I think right now as constituted, I have the Bucks, Nets, and Sixers as teams that should be pretty aggressive and considering themselves um, uh, a team that can win it all right away. Uh, there are a few other teams that I have that are just below uh, that tier where, you know, if they make a move at the trade deadline, they could elevate themselves. Um, do you want me to give you those teams real quick, Ben? Well, I'm guessing Celtics and Heat. Am I right? Just the Celt- Celtics four times is what I was thinking. No, oh. I, 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 have the, I have the Celtics, the Raptors, the Heat, and the Portland Trailblazers. I'm going to include them in this conversation. Very interesting. Yeah. So you've got a pretty broad definition of uh, contenders or you I know, do. B- I buyers. Do. Um, yeah, I think I would definitely have a shorter list than that in terms of the top tier contenders. But I think most of those top tier contenders don't really have a lot of maneuverability. You know what I mean? So it's probably some of those second tier teams that you're talking about that actually might dr- drive a little bit more of the action. Now, we'll see. It doesn't always play out that way. But a lot of the, I mean, the Lakers, Clippers, I mean, teams like that are going to be just operating right around the edges as opposed mm-hmm. to some of these other organizations. All right, so from your list, how many of those teams are like absolute buyers? Like they need to add something versus, hey, if they just sit it out, they're going to be okay. Uh, man, um, I, I mean, I think all of them, honestly, but if I had to narrow it down, I would say the Nuggets are a team that I've re- I 
feel pretty strongly about needs to make a move. Um, the Bucks, we've talked about a million times, they feel like they're a player away. Uh, the Suns, Sixers, and I'm going to throw the Clippers in too, even though if the Clippers did not make a move necessarily, I would still consider them a strong contender. Um, but, you know, I, man, I look at their roster now and I just, I feel like if they were to roll out like Lou Williams um, in crunch time of a game seven in the conference finals, it would be problematic. So I, I see them as a team that could stand to shake things up a tiny bit also. Yeah, I would be disappointed in the Clippers if they didn't make a move. I mm-hmm. mean, they're good enough to be in this conversation. They're good enough to win it if things kind of break their way. Are they good enough to just go out there and win it themselves? I, that, to me, that's an open question. They should be looking for, uh, you know, one more guy to get downhill and, and make things interesting off the dribble. Um, otherwise, their lineups are in pretty good shape. Okay, so uh, you're, you're pretty much saying this should just be garage sale season. I mean, these guys should all just be shopping like crazy. Who are they going to be buying from, Michael? Like, who are the guaranteed sellers? And you mentioned a team like Chicago. Maybe they should be sellers, but they're probably not because of this play-in mix. I would actually say the same thing is true for the Washington Wizards, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. Bradley Beal would be an obvious uh, piece to sell here at the deadline, but they're just barely out of that play-in mix. They're still in the possibility of, of making the real playoffs. I can't really see them you know, undoing all of that work and sacrificing, you know, the the recent momentum that they've created to blow it up and essentially go a completely different direction, especially because he's been their franchise player and such an uh, important person in the community. Mm-hmm. So that's that's part of the problem here is if teams like the Bulls and the Wizards who are below 500 and would typically be sellers aren't actually going to be sellers this year, who does that leave? Yeah, so there. I mean, there aren't as many teams as we would like for sure. But I'm I'm gonna go with the Kings, the Thunder, the Rockets, the Timberwolves, Cavs, Magic, and Pistons. Am I missing anybody in your in your estimation, or is that pretty much the the list right there? No, that sounds right about the list. I mean, with the Chicago Bulls, is it possible one of their veterans just kind of gets uh, you know spun yeah. off for some picks? I don't know. I was thinking like a Thaddeus Young. Like, could yeah. that be? Could that be yeah. a thing? Yeah, that, I, I agree with you. Actually, I, I had the Bulls written on my list here, and I just I, I can't. I can see them being a seller, but I can also see them just you know wanting to stand pat. I think the Lowry Markinen situation is super interesting, um, given his free agency and how they want to deal with him going forward. Um, Thomas Sadoransky also, who I wrote about recently as someone that the Clippers should be interested in because he's having a ridiculously good season and he's a really good player. Um, Or Thad Young. So, yeah, I I think the Bulls, you could throw them also into this conversation. So, you know, from that longer list that you mentioned, like, let's target the teams that are just absolutely toast, right? Like, and that's going to be a shorter list, but the teams that really have no shot. So that's Minnesota, Houston, Sacramento. Would you keep OKC in that group as well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> I would. It's weird. They have the same record as the Pelicans. I don't view the Pelicans as completely toast yet, um, although I think they could be sellers, but I think the Thunder are probably going to be obvious sellers. And then in the East, it's Detroit, Orlando, and Cleveland, and I kind of think that's it, right? So from those teams, if you were like kind of scrounging around – I mean, the talent there isn't great. I mean, are there any names that kind of pop to you as like, oh, these guys could really fit on a contender? For example, I've seen a lot of P.J. Tucker talk, you know, from Houston. He's kind of like the the last remaining member from that previous era, um, obviously has a lot of playoff experience, versatile defensive piece, and yet he has not played very well this year at all. I'm not sure exactly how much he's going to be able to help someone this deep into his career 
But is he is he the kind of player you would expect to move from that group? And are there any other vets who you kind of like circle and be like, all right, well, that guy needs a new home uh, two weeks from now? So with someone like P.J. Tucker, you know, he's not the greatest fit in an environment that is not, um, uh, you know, trying to compete at the highest level with players like James Harden, um, Chris Paul, uh, even Russell Westbrook last year before he got hurt. So uh, he makes sense to me, you know, in Brooklyn or on the Celtics or the Raptors or uh, the Heat or just like any team that is playing with stakes because the Houston Rockets have zero stakes right now. Um, and then, you know, there's a, there's a list of other guys like that aren't very sexy that we could go through, like your, your, your Terry and Princes in Cleveland or Nemanja Bialisa in Sacramento, uh, DeLon Wright in Detroit. Like these are the types of players that I could see potentially being moved. But I, I just I also don't think that they shift the needle for anybody who's trying to win a championship. So like maybe a, a player of a more higher caliber like a DeMar DeRozan, who I thought would have a very low chance of being moved before the trade deadline. And then we saw kind of what happened with LaMarcus Aldridge. But DeMar is having a much better season than LaMarcus, so maybe that's not the greatest example. Or, you know, Harrison Barnes, Buddy Heald, um, Aaron Gordon, if he's healthy. We don't know. We haven't seen him in a little bit. Um, so it's there's some names out there for sure, and we didn't even mention, like, Andre Drummond yet. But um, just, you know, there's some names that could – shift around a little bit but not at like the superstar level yeah I mean the, the thing on PJ that's really interesting that you're talking about is you know his offense being derivative I mean this year he drops from you know a 36 percent three-point shooter last year to a 31 percent uh, three-point shooter this year he's getting way less looks he's playing fewer minutes his efficiency is just down across the board are you completely convinced he could bring back that 2018 Rockets vibe with the Nets if he's just surrounded by the best players? Because obviously he's never going to look worse than in the current team context that he is in right now because they just don't really have the typical types of setup guys to get him going. Um, but at the same time, you have to be worried if you're one of these teams interested in him. Well, what if what if he's just done? You know, What if he hit the mm-hmm. wall here in his mid-30s? He's kind of always been a limited guy. Is he still an impact-making player? You look at last year's playoffs, I don't – I mean, there were stretches where he was giving Anthony Davis problems, but there was also stretches where Anthony Davis was just destroying Houston. You well, know? yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Anthony Davis destroyed it. I mean, that's not a P.J. Tucker problem, I don't think. Um, but, I mean, look. Like, well, it PJ- was when he was their starting center, I guess was my point, <laughs> sure. right? Like, And maybe, maybe yeah. that's more of like a roster construction issue, but I think their plan heading into that series was like, hey, P.J. is just going to be able to make Anthony Davis work and everything else is going to fall into place because we're going to own the stylistic battle, right? And that is not how it went. And so, you know, I think whoever grabs him, I think there just needs to be a little bit of lowered expectations. If you want him to be that number one defensive stopper in a playoff series against a wide variety of bigs, which I think is what some people view of Mm -hmm. him maybe from a year or two ago, I'm just saying I don't know if he's still that same player. I mean, that's fair to wonder. Uh, You know, this is someone who was one of the league's great Ironmen heading into this season, and he's missed some time breaking that streak. Um, over the past couple weeks, which is a little bit of a concern given his age and given the wear and tear in his body. But his shooting percentages during, you know, the 2018 season when the Rockets won 65 games, those aren't like super impressive. I mean, he shot below 40% from the floor overall. I understand what his role was. And uh, I think that he has taken a step back defensively for sure. But, you know, you put him in, like, let's say, for example, like he signs with um, 
the Sixers and you know they sign him with the idea of you know when we get to the playoffs Dwight Howard might not be able to give us like minutes in a series as he did not give them minutes um, the Lakers minutes last year at times he was benched and out of the rotation so you know you you sign PJ to be kind of your backup five and you switch a little bit more when he's on the court I think that that could be like an interesting fit and then also you know I I also think just like anybody who goes to Brooklyn right now is is in a great situation and uh, the things that PJ brings to the table really kind of fit well with what the Brooklyn Nets need um, so I, I mean I think that fit is just I, I might value it a little bit more than you do from just our discussions of, of of players who are looking terrible one in one place I think change of scenery is really important and change of you know the supporting pieces around somebody and role definition and all that so I think PJ still has something left for sure um, and it'll be interesting to see kind of where he lands because I would be shocked if he didn't go somewhere well, I like that idea of Philly a lot. I mean, I think he would bring stuff that they don't really have anyone who does it. You know what I mean? So it would just be a mm-hmm. big value add over their uh, current personnel. Let me ask you, though, because you mentioned Brooklyn. Should everyone just go to the Nets? Like if I'm Andre Drummond, <laughs> LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin already got there first, P.J. Tucker, should they just all go to Brooklyn and they can all get the rings that they need? I mean, is that where this should go? Because there, we've talked about you know, some of the openings in that front court for playing time. And maybe none of those guys I mentioned are major impact making players individually. But if you brought them all in together, had mm-hmm. a bunch of different lineup versatility, and you just let the three scorers do what they do. That could be a very, very uh, devastating team to match up with during the playoffs. I think they would roll through the Eastern Conference fairly easily. Why isn't that going to happen, Michael? I mean, isn't this time for LaMarcus to finally get a ring for uh, Blake Griffin to finally make a conference finals for PJ Tucker to finally get a ring or a finals appearance and you know Andre Drummond to finally make the playoffs I mean <laughs> I I hope that this does not happen for the sake of uh diversity in the league and you know wanting to see um as many competitive teams as possible kind of do battle in the play I don't want one I, I'm not a huge proponent of one team you know, just becoming the superpower. And I, I, you know, without disrespecting any of the names you just mentioned, this would be like the most depressing superpower of all time if you added some of those guys together. Um, but, uh, but no, I mean, like, I, I think LaMarcus, honestly, when he saw the Blake to Brooklyn news, he was probably a little bummed because that, that destination was really ripe for him, I feel like. I don't. Why is it mutually exclusive? I think everyone should go to Brooklyn. I mean, I know it's just like <laughs> it sounds like a bit, but I mean, come on! Like they're the rising power in the Eastern Conference. They're the team that if you do want to chase a ring, they're going to give you a great shot because they're going to have an easier path through the East. They've got minutes available. It's only a couple months here during a pandemic. It's not a normal season. You're going to be able to go into free agency and find yourself a new team down the road. It's a little bit like where the Warriors were, where they were picking up just random vets, you know, in in 2017, 2018, like the Nick Youngs of the world. Just hop along, see what happens. I I think that's kind of the vibe that they could get into. So why not? I mean, put yourself in the shoes of like a proud, really good borderline Hall of Fame player like LaMarcus Aldridge. I mean, it's easy for me to do, Michael. I, I mean, you're describing who I am. Sure, right? This is already sure. my mentality. Yes. <laughs> yes. But like, I don't know, like the reason he, one of the reasons he's leaving San Antonio is because they put him on the bench. I, I, I'm pretty positive given just, you know, his 
um, everything that's kind of gone on there since he's signed. And um, so, you know, uh, him leaving on those circumstances to go, I I know that, you know, Brooklyn is a much better basketball team and closer to the championship, obviously, but like, what is like, what are his minutes looking like in a playoff series? If he were to sign there, I I don't think that that is that um, appealing to him versus a situation where he could actually be on the court, like in say um, Miami or Toronto. Um, Not saying that he would go to those teams over Brooklyn, but I'm just saying like, I think his role would be a little bit bigger, and that's something that could be a little more fulfilling for someone like him. Well, first of all, if I'm Kevin Durant, I'm sending him every Nike sneaker in Texas orange colorways, right? I'm trying to butter him up. I'm trying to say, hey, we've got something new and different here. Uh, You've been stuck in San Antonio. Things didn't really go as well as a lot of people expected. Here is your third chapter. It's all laid out on a plate. We're going to get exactly what we can from you and ask nothing more. It's going to be a manageable role. If it doesn't work out, you're free to go your separate ways this summer. You know, what better way to, uh, you know, make the best out of a tough situation with the pandemic than to come home with a title ring? I mean, that's a pretty compelling pitch, Michael. And, um, you know, they could use his length inside. Like, I don't necessarily think, like, Blake Griffin has a five. I don't like that as much as LaMarcus has a five, right? And so there could be moments where you're you're kind of interchanging those two guys. And, you know, he maybe he's playing 15 minutes a night in the playoffs, which isn't great. But that's better than playing the role he was playing for San Antonio, where he got there expecting to be the guy and expecting to really compete at a high level. It just sort of slowly fizzled away once Kawhi left, and now this, there is a youth movement, and you're really not part of the plans. So you're just kind of in the way. He wouldn't be in the way in Brooklyn, I guess, and, and maybe that gives him some fulfillment. I'm just trying to make the case here. No, but I, I don't even think he'd get 15 minutes a night. I mean, look at that front court rotation. Like, Jeff Green is going to be their starting five in a lot of playoff games, I think. So, uh, And then you have DeAndre Jordan, obviously, as well. So, like, it's, it's, um, it's pretty crowded all of a sudden in that front court, whereas we, you know, we were talking about when they traded for Harden and they lost Jared Allen, just like how much of a catastrophe it was. Now they're just loaded with bigs. <laughs> so it's like, it's a, it, they, now they have too much and they, they almost like don't even need someone like Lamarcus in that role. I think they need him, Michael. I think you're, you're swinging too wildly on the pendulum. So it sounds like you're all in to this Blake Griffin to the Brooklyn situation. <laughs> you think he's going to get tons and tons of minutes. He's a game changer there for their front court. Uh, I, I kind of, do feel this way. Um, I'm pretty bullish about him. You know, going back to what we were discussing earlier about fit and about role definition and about, um, in this case, expectations, because the expectations for Blake Griffin are just, they are very low. I mean, people are not even expecting him to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time, which is just a, a lot of just just throwing disrespect at him. I, I think that, you know, in watching, I wrote a little bit of, a little bit about him um, earlier this week in a column, uh, kind of explaining why I believe in him. And I, I just, I'm not saying he didn't try in Detroit, but I am saying that that situation is just, it's just a different universe from what he's entering in Brooklyn. Like, I'm pretty confident he will be rejuvenated. And that does not mean he will be an, look like an all-NBA um, power forward, a bruiser. Uh, uh, it does not mean that he'll shoot 45% from behind the three-point line or um, be able to protect the rim all of a sudden and and be super mobile and a switch-everything defensive system, but he will be a lot better than the guy we saw in Detroit. I just I, I, in, in fewer minutes with a, a smaller 
set of responsibilities surrounded by guys who have so much gravity like like Blake setting a high screen for James Harden and forcing a switch and then getting a small on him and then you know you can't send help or double <clears throat> in the post to slow that down I still think Blake has something in him there where he's an effective basketball player who can draw a foul or get all the way to the rim and then maybe draw help then and he's such a good passer and he's still a smart player so I, I don't know I'm just I'm I'm still pretty high on Blake I think more than most people yeah, you sound higher on Blake in Brooklyn than you did with Harden in Brooklyn. It's amazing, Michael. I don't know about this transformation. <laughs> I do think like the best comparison point is probably like Jeff Green. I feel like Jeff Green's going through a little bit of a renaissance this year, right? His life has been made easier by all these playmakers. He's looked pretty solid uh, mm. and, and given them what they needed. Uh, you know, at their peaks, there's really no c- competition. Who is a better player, Blake Griffin or Jeff Green? So I think if, if you're trying to make the argument Blake Griffin's about to shock the world and come out and just look like a completely different guy, that's probably the comparison point you want to use. At the same time, they still feel thin up front to me. I would be trying to load up if I were them and, you know, just trying to pitch all these guys. I'm like, don't you want to be part of something special? You know, Kyrie going all the way back to Christmas was talking about this is going to be a movie. At Christmas, it didn't seem like it was going to be that great of a movie. The movie's getting a little bit more interesting, for sure. And uh, I would say I kind of circle Brooklyn as like maybe the number one destination for all these guys in, in terms of like what they should be prioritizing and what kind of uh, possibilities are available. Because you look at the Lakers, they're pretty much locked in with who they are, right? And that's where you know I, I would start to question, well, what minutes really are available for these types of guys? Now, Brooklyn, I, I still think there's they could find a find some room there and, and they're also going to potentially need uh injury replacements as well or just uh, you know backup plans in the event of, of something going wrong um let me ask you this when you're when you're digging into this Blake Griffin in the Nets uh scenario who does he help them against in the playoffs versus where is he exploitable right like are there certain matchups you could say hey Blake could hang in that one uh, he could work as a small ball five potentially. Are there other ones where you're like, well, this one's probably not going to be as uh, as smooth for him. He might get exposed. Yeah, I mean, well, he's going into a situation where, like, I don't think Brooklyn has solved its issues defensively at all. I, like, I, my feelings there are the same, pretty much. I do think that they are better than, like, historically wretched, and we've seen them try a little bit harder and slowly embrace or or I should say slowly like better execute the switch everything scheme that they've um that they've adopted but like I feel as though if he were to go up against like the Sixers in a playoff series like they couldn't take advantage of him in a way that you know like a team with Steph Curry or a team with Dame Lillard could um like just put him on Tobias Harris or like throw him on Ben Simmons. I I really don't think that it would be just this humongous catastrophe because Blake is still huge and he's not super old. I mean, he's 32. Like I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't think that he's, I think he's, he's vulnerable in the pick and roll for sure. And he's vulnerable in space. But if you're going up against a team like Philly, it doesn't really play, uh, you know, they don't take advantage of the three-point line as much as other teams do. Um, and, you know, one of the great advantages they have is their, just their size still on the wings and with Simmons and Harris particularly. Like, those guys love to just body smaller defenders in the post. You can't really do that with Blake, and I don't know how much faster either one is to, like, curl around him without a ton of space. So I'd be fine with him on the floor, honestly, in a series against Philly. 
So the Eastern Conference Finals death match between uh, Blake Griffin and Tobias Harris to settle that trade from five <laughs> years ago. Fascinating, yes. fascinating. So yes. many layers to that, Michael. I love where you're going with that. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that I think he could probably hold up against Philly. You know, if Milwaukee went small with Giannis mm. at the five, that's probably getting pretty dicey for him. But I think Brooklyn would prefer that anyways, right? Because they can just go with their own smaller group yes. and they're going to they're gonna be loving life. So Milwaukee's probably staying big. If Milwaukee stays big, he can stay on the court, uh, I would I would expect. So mm-hmm. maybe people are overstating exactly how, how big of a mess he's going to be. I guess we're going to have to see it uh, in context before we make too many huge judgments. But I don't see a major playoff matchup that's going to be like absolutely a nightmare for him. Um, do you? No, not really. I mean, I, M- maybe you know, Miami. Like when when they I really about, spread you yeah. out. Yeah, I was about to say Miami just because of Bam at the five, and Bam can play on the perimeter with those DHOs with Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, um, and they they'll they'll try to pick and roll him to death, um, and I think that they have the space to do it. And Miami is just I don't know they they move the ball really well. Um, and then, like defensively, I'm not sure that that Blake could have the type of impact that um, that he would be able to have maybe against a a Celtics team that is you know when the Celtics go small and Blake gets someone on an island like he can still do damage. You know, I I I think the Heat are better equipped to slow someone like that down and just because of how they defend. Same goes with Toronto and how they scramble and everything. So, so yeah, but like against Milwaukee, you know, you throw him on Brooke Lopez, you throw him on Bobby Portis. I feel like he doesn't have that many issues. Michael, I'm with you in spirit, but I'm also wondering if we're just being very wishful with our thinking and that it could be a disaster. Like, I'm really pretty excited to see how this goes because, (laughs) um, you know, you're talking me into it, you're selling me on it, but at the same time, like, it's been a pretty rough go for a while for Blake, even during his prime. Like, he had a hard time staying healthy throughout a playoff run, so I think that's still a question, especially when you're looking at a condensed season. I like this idea that they're going to slowly ramp him up. I think that's absolutely the right way to go, and I would be trying to keep his minutes managed pretty thoroughly throughout the rest of the regular season and just kind of crossing your fingers and praying. It would be a very cool story for him if he finally got to reach a conference finals after having that label for years and years and years. So... Um, I think that's absolutely in play for him. And at this point, if they didn't do it, I would be pretty much shocked or stunned, you know, if they're not able to get that done. So, um, you know, just something to keep an eye on as we look forward to the playoffs, you know, May, June, July. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare zip 
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. On the Lug Marcus Aldridge front, this one kind of hit close to home because I remember what a big deal it was in Portland when I was there when he decided to leave the Blazers for the Spurs. At the time, it was this idea he was going to take the torch from Tim Duncan and there was going to be a long, extended, you know, another 10 years of playoff appearances with him and Kawhi Leonard. Obviously, it didn't go that way. I think they made the Western Conference Finals once. You know, Portland wound up making the Western Conference Finals once without him. Uh, so there's a lot of second guessing. Did he make the right decision? Did he not? I'm sure it was better for Damian Lillard's career that Aldridge actually left because it allowed Lillard to fully blossom and take control of that franchise. And with LaMarcus's decision, when you're looking at it in hindsight, um, was it a disappointment? Did we get everything that we were kind of expecting to see from that free agency decision? Remember, it was like LaMarcus was frustrated by the Lakers. Their meeting pitch made no sense, so he had to go to San Antonio. And like there was a lot of attention around LaMarcus at that moment. But I feel like he faded from the spotlight pretty quickly. And then he just never really had any signature moments in the postseason. His best playoff moments actually came as a Blazer earlier in his career when he was getting 40 points in playoff games. Um, am I reading that wrong? I'm not going to call it a disappointment. Um, you know, when he signed with San Antonio, it was under the idea of, yeah, he would take the torch a little bit from Duncan, who was still there. But then also, I think the key here is Kawhi Leonard. And, you know, at the time, no one foresaw Kawhi Leonard not only basically missing an entire season with that mysterious thigh injury, but then just seeing his relationship with the organization deteriorate to the point where they had to move on. And that changed the trajectory of everything, right? So I think the expectations were altered um, off of what happened with Kawhi, and that has nothing to do with LaMarcus. Um, but I actually... Well, let me ask you, does it though? Okay. I mean, if LaMarcus is a top five player, does Kawhi want to leave? Well, I mean... I don't know. Like, I th- <laughs> I'm not saying he was ever going to be a top five player. No, I guess, I, like, you know, look, but yeah. if he's a top 10 player and you feel like you're going to win a title every single year if you stay in that spot, he's more likely to stay, right? And I'm, I'm just wondering, did they never establish a real close connection? I mean, I, I never really got that sense, you know, when they were, they were playing together in the playoffs, like they were best friends and all that. I mean, that never really seemed like it was coming forward. Ultimately, LaMarcus's presence wasn't enough to keep Kawhi Leonard there. So... You know, maybe there was some... I, it, yeah, I can't put that on LaMarcus. Like, I think there were a lot of reasons why Kawhi left. And, like, even from, you know, like, Kawhi made no secret that through whoever, what intermediaries, that he wanted to play in Los Angeles and go home at some point in his career. And there was the money issue with, you know, the Spurs not 
giving him the, the the max when he wanted it because they wanted to preserve cap space. And then, yeah, there was the trust issue with the injury. It's just, I, I, I really don't think that, like, maybe if LaMarcus Aldridge was the best player alive or the second best player alive, then Kawhi would think twice. But I, I don't think that you can put that on him. Um, I, 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 what I wanted to kind of touch on you real quick was uh, in 2016, LaMarcus Aldridge's first year there, like, I thought that that Spurs team was, like, the best basketball team in NBA history to lose in the second round. And I'm sure I'm going to bring you down memory lane for two seconds, Ben. But, like, I remember that game two in the second round against the Thunder when Dion Waiters elbowed Manu Ginobili trying to inbound the ball, and then the refs admitted afterward that they missed it and that the possession should have been rewarded to San Antonio, and the Spurs lost that game by one point. LaMarcus had 41 in that game, and had they won, had the Spurs won, they would have gone up two zip in the series. And in my opinion, you know, that team, I think they had a higher net rating, or they were very close in net rating to uh, the Golden State Warriors that season, and we never really got the peak Spurs versus peak Warriors playoff series, Pop versus Kerr. I thought that, I mean, I'd like the Spurs that year to win it all. And I just, I think history would have, I'm not saying this is all hinging on one call and one game two, but I think back to that and I think back to how good LaMarcus was and what could have been had things kind of just shifted a tiny bit in a different direction. I mean, real quick also. Well, hold on, Michael. I'm going to have okay. to fact check you. You are saying that it all came down to that one call and that all of history would have been different. I can well, tell it in your voice. Well, sure. You truly believe that your vision for the Spurs winning the 2016 title came down to yes. that one call, don't you? It's okay. I, I'm, I, no, I'm, it, it, I'm not disagreeing me. with it. Just be honest. You don't have to say I'm not saying it, but you are saying it. Well, it, it upsets me to this day, but also there was the Zaza Pachulia game, game one, I think, what was that, the following year in the Western Conference Finals where Kawhi is just going off and then what he played like 30, not even 30 minutes. He had like, he was at this 23rd minute or something like that and he sprains his ankle and is out for the series after landing on Zaza's foot from a dirty closeout. Um, that series, I'm not saying the Spurs would have won that series either, but that's another what if there with LaMarcus and just unfortunate luck in the playoffs let's say no I hear you on that for sure I mean what an error for the Spurs I think they were one of the best teams ever to go out in the first round in 2015 they won 55 games and they go out with the Chris Paul runner you know in the first round against Mm -hmm. the Clippers they had like two of the top three point differentials in the league matching up in the first round if I remember that correctly they go home there and their title defenses ended early then 2016 you're describing the big what if in that second round Everyone's going to forget that series because of what came next, you know, Warriors uh, versus Thunder and then Mm -hmm. Warriors versus Cavaliers. But that is a a massive what if. And then 2017, like you're describing the Kawhi ankle, they're up just huge in that series against Golden State. The entire momentum shifts because Kawhi gets injured and and San Antonio does its typical thing of not bringing him back. And they watch a 61 win team uh, basically go to waste uh, because, you know, they just get swept in that series. And it wasn't even particularly close. And that was pretty much the end of the dynasty run right there. And, you know, Kawhi wanted out not too long after that. So, I mean, I would call that a disappointment, Michael. I mean, I remember when Aldridge left the Blazers, it was this idea of he's joining a dynasty, a team that always wins at a high level, 50 plus wins guaranteed, sometimes 60 plus. 
they're going to be able to reach the finals. For him never to reach a finals and have it go in some of these ways that we've described, I kind of feel like that winds up being a disappointment. And I saw some conversation about, is he going to be a Hall of Famer or not a Hall of Famer um, on Twitter last night? I feel like he's kind of short. Am I wrong? Hmm. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer to me. Um, and just kind of looking at some of the numbers here, I mean, he's a seven-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA. I just think, you know, I can go through these numbers with you in a second, but just, you know, zooming out, his style of play does not help him in the aesthetic argument. Like, he's the master of the mid-range, the pick-and-pop, those, like, the really boring but effective, painfully dull baseline turnarounds that were just like unblockable unless Anthony Davis was defending him like he was unstoppable in his own way in certain situations but like I don't know it's I think that that kind of is is held against him or will be held against him when we look back and say was this player a hall of famer or not do you is that a fair assessment of kind of the situation or do you think that how someone plays is completely besides the point when we talk about the Hall of Fame. Well, I think it goes hand in hand with the idea that he was so reluctant to shoot threes for so long, and Mm. he was kind of like working stylistically against kind of the best practices for years and years of his prime. And I do feel like had he come along 10 years later, I think he could have been one of like the greatest big men of the modern era, right? I think he was just like a little bit too early. He needed to like come up through high school, uh, his time in college, and then the pros already shooting three-pointers rather than shooting those long twos, and he would have been way more devastating. He would have been way more helpful to offenses. And I think his prime athletic years would have been perfect fit for this, you know, pacier and spacier type game. I mean, he was younger. He was really, really athletic. And I think that some of those years got lost with really slow down Portland offenses that were kind of built around Brandon Roy. And so he put on some weight and wound up being a little bit more of a post threat. And, you know, the turnaround jumper like you're describing – I can see a version of LaMarcus Aldridge that like gets drafted, say, in 2018, where he's just flying all over the court. It's much more Monster. like an Anthony Davis, and it would be so much better than what we actually got. So, you know, I watched this guy come up almost his entire career. I think my first year covering the Blazers was his second season. So that was like his first real year as a starter. And there was so much potential there. He would get into these conversations like, who's the best power forward in the league? You know, Blake Griffin. Uh, Chris Bosh or Aldridge and I just feel like after the San Antonio run I mean I can't believe that it's been six seasons and I don't know it's just something just something feels empty and I don't think it's necessarily style of play I, I just think that it's like the untapped potential aspect right like his ceiling was higher maybe than he reached and that's tough to say about a guy who has career averages of 19 8 uh, and two, I mean, that's pretty nice with a block as well, uh, shooting almost 50% for his career. But I don't know, something just doesn't quite sit right with how well, that whole thing played out. Yeah, real quick. I mean, I also, I do think that like the fact that he just wouldn't, you know, um, like play the game, so to speak, like with the media, like he does, he was, he's a very shy, introverted person. You know, I, I did this big profile about him three years ago and got to sit down and, and, and kind of hang out with him for a day. And we talked about him being shy and we talked about how he is aware of how he's perceived because he does not really open up to the media and he, he never had before that. Um, so I, I do think that that does unfairly or not kind of, uh, like impact the way we we view players when it's all said and done and we're kind of reflecting on their careers. But like, I don't know, like all time 
I'm just going to, I, I kind of teased the numbers before, but just like he's 38th all-time in baskets, 47th all-time in points, 62nd all-time in rebounds, 56th all-time in win shares. He has the second best turnover rate in NBA history, which is kind of a wild stat. Um, and I don't know. I just, I, I think that like I hold, I, I think, you know, I, I guess like it might be unfair to say that, uh, he was a disappointed in San Antonio given all the circumstances that we went over before. Um, and I just, I'd never even like like, I just think the golden state warriors, like (laughs) we didn't see them coming either when he was signed. You know what I mean? Like there's so many different variables here that make it so difficult. Broke a lot of hearts. I hear you, man. There's no question about it. Um, and, and the Spurs were right near the top of that list right there with the thunder, um, and for a couple of years, LeBron as well. Um, no, I, I hear what you're saying. So you think he gets into the Hall of Fame, but he just gives a terrible speech and nobody's crying is sort of what you're <laughs> laying out for us. I, that's exactly right. I mean, Ben Wallace, no disrespect, was just uh, he's a finalist for this upcoming class. Like, I don't know. LaMarcus Aldridge had a better career. I'm sorry. Yeah, I hear you. I don't think he's going to get on the first ballot, though. I think it's it could be one of those things where the intelligentsia has to kind of like rally around his case after like three years of snubbing. Could you see that happening? Yeah, for sure. No, that's a good call. That's a good call by you. All right. What about Andre Drummond um, as a possible buyout landing spot? I mean, I know the Lakers fans are starting to eye him a little bit. I'm sure the Nets fans are still kind of thinking, hey, that would be an interesting addition in the middle. Uh, what do you think there with Andre Drummond? Like, what's his best landing spot if he were to get bought out? Hmm. I I think Golden State would be nice. I mean, obviously, there's James Wiseman, who they're trying to develop, and Kevon Looney. They're they're really good when Kevon Looney's on the court. So I don't know um, if he's necessarily an upgrade over Looney defensively, and that's what they need. Plus, they love to play, uh, you know, either Pascal or, of course, Draymond Green at the five. But, you know, I just feel like Golden State's infrastructure is just, it's like perfect for someone like Drummond. And also he wouldn't have to ever guard Steph Curry, which would be wonderful for him. Um, I, you know, the, the first team that was linked to him, the Toronto Raptors, on paper makes a lot of sense, even though, like, I don't know. I personally like them when they're small and they play either OG Ananobi or Pascal Siakam at the five or, or, or Chris Boucher. I think that that gives them a little bit more um, flexibility on both ends and, and more space for Van Fleet and Kyle Lowry to kind of operate. Uh, but I have a sneaky, intriguing destination for you. Ooh, bring um, it on. The Wizards. Um, I was just watching the Wizards-Grizzlies game last night, and uh, I don't know if you caught that one, Ben, but, like, Alex Len, Robin Lopez, um, Mo Wagner, like... <laughs> Like Jonas Valanciunas had like twenty nine and twenty or something, and he was completely obliterating their front line. Like I, I don't Jonas know. Jonas like... spent the entire All Star break just thinking about how he was going to get numbers <laughs> against that front line. <laughs> yeah, it's tough too because I mean normally we'd be like, well, come on, Michael Thomas Bryant, their starting center is out for the year with injury. It's like Thomas Bryant's not going to stop Jonas Valanciunas. He's probably going to get bigger numbers against Thomas Bryant than he did against those other guys. I also saw a tweet from Robin Lopez that basically just sounded like he believes he's washed now. I don't know if you saw that tweet. It's just like, wow, you know, I'm getting old, something like that. So that was that was a, a humbling night for the Wizards, to say the least. I like that idea, and I do think in the case of Drummond, because he's significantly younger than Blake and LaMarcus, he's probably looking for a landing spot here where he can turn that into his next contract, right? And a team like mm. Washington could potentially be interested in paying him. 
Do you think that Golden State or Toronto would be interested longer term in his services? No, (laughs) I don't. I mean, especially Golden State. Like, that's absolutely not going to happen. Toronto is a really interesting team. I think we're going to talk about them later, potentially when we answer a couple other questions about what the future holds. But uh, but no, I I don't think that they would have particular interest with him. But it could be a situation just where he kind of rehabilitates his value a little bit. And so then he can hit the open market and get get paid that way. Um, but I, th- I think Washington is just such a like a brilliant fit for a lot of reasons. He can play big minutes there. They don't care about defense. Him running pick and roll with Westbrook, him even being able to operate at the elbows, run DHOs with Brad Beal. I, I think it's a really good fit for him. Yeah, I could see Westbrook running a lot into him, like in the middle of traffic on some wild layups. <laughs> and, and then maybe everybody's like, wait a minute, what happened here? I mean, that is the one advantage of their front line right now is that there's an awful lot of driving lanes, um, a lot of space for Westbrook to operate um, in Washington. Okay, let's uh, go through a few of these rapid fire. If I said top three GMs who absolutely have to make a move, uh, like, you know, they've got to find some help for their squad. They can't just sit on their hands here at the deadline. It's got to be somebody coming in to kind of alter the equation. Which teams do you circle? Which GMs do you circle? And why is it Danny Ainge three times? Yeah, before I answer, I was going to say, I'm glad you mentioned that. You put in the outline here, Ainge, Ainge, and Ainge, which I really did not appreciate. Um that said, Danny Ainge was one of the GMs <laughs> that I picked here. The pressure's on, Michael. The pressure is on. I know. But what are you going to do, Ben, when the Celtics signed Nikola Jokic in 2023? That's the real question here. Um, yeah. Don't worry. I'm not counting down to that at all. That is not even <laughs> the slightest concern at all. No, I, I had to speak that into existence and get it out there. Um, no, I mean, Danny, obviously, you know, he was kind of throwing water. I don't know if you saw this morning on the radio in Boston, throwing water on the idea that they had to use the trade exception this season because they can obviously use it in the offseason to improve their team as well. Ownership and, did that too. Are they just, they don't want to spend the money, do they, Michael? Well, well, I mean, like, look, you, it's like, if you don't think that they can win the championship, then why would they just go into the luxury tax for no reason? Like, like if the championship is the goal for this organization, which it, it is every single season, then maybe it would be wiser to hold on to that asset and kind of use it in the offseason when you have no you have no cap space like that that is the way to improve your roster going forward i like i could i understand the logic with that and i understand no, when they for say sure. I, I do yeah. too look if they want to give up on the year that's fine go ahead i'm not going to stop them but that's still tough that's still a bitter pill to swallow for a lot of people isn't it <laughs> It'd be a bummer. I, I would be swallowing a bitter pill personally. Yes, um, that's not what you want. Uh, but my so like I, I think we both in agreement that Danny and the Celtics. It would be nice if they upgraded. Uh, it's somewhere in their roster. You know, adding someone like Harrison Barnes, who we've discussed, or Aaron Gordon, who we've discussed. But you know, moving on from Danny. Um, I have two GMs that are pretty interesting to me. One is uh, Masai Ujiri. And I literally just teased that two seconds ago, talking about the Raptors. Like, I I think that for him, standing still would almost be ballsier than trading an icon like Kyle Lowry, because um, this organization needs to figure out if it wants to upgrade and get closer to the championship or significantly downgrade. I, I I think that they're they're towing the line between being very competitive after a slow start to the regular season and kind of finding themselves with this small ball lineup when healthy 
and you know wanting to move on and just rebuild around whatever like OG Ananobi, Fred Van Fleet. They have such young talented pieces, Pascal Siakam included. So I think they're in just a really weird position, and I, I would be surprised if no moves were made, especially considering Norm Powell, his free agency. Like, that dude is going to get paid a lot of money this summer, and I don't know if Toronto can stand to just lose him for nothing or resign him to the money that he's, he's going to garner. So uh, this organization, is changes are afoot, I would say, with them. Yeah, I saw a report come out either a day or two ago saying like their initial uh, take is that they're not going to trade Lowry. Had they not gotten some momentum going towards the All-Star break, I would have expected them to trade him. You know, his contract is large. It's not a situation where there's going to be any sort of a buyout. If they keep him, they can kind of just, you know, give it one more shot with this group and do it for the fan base, that which absolutely loves him, and then kind of sort it out this summer. So, I, you know, to me, I think that their general preference on Lowry is to not move him now. Is there another addition to make to kind of boost that playoff um, push? You know, are they in a situation where they should actually be buyers right now? Do they generate enough positive momentum so far during the regular season that they should be trying to add somebody rather than subtract? I think that's a, an open question, but for sure, I've got Toronto circled as a team that could be uh, could be in the mix. Who else do you have? So uh, my next name is Tim Connolly with the Thank Denver you. Nuggets. Get Jokic yeah. some help so we don't have to hear these Boston Celtics rumors for the next three years like you're already trying to start. <laughs> this guy needs some help, man. He's, he's keeping them afloat single-handedly, and the supporting cast has just been a little disappointing this year, to say the least. Mm-hmm. And look, I mean, they have pieces to trade, which is what makes them so intriguing. Like Gary Harris's contract plus another asset like a Bull Bull or an RJ Hampton or, of course, the guy who we always talk about, Michael Porter Jr., if they wanted to swing big. Um, I have a fake trade for you that I, I, I guarantee you will not happen, but I want to see – I want to get your reaction. I have a real reaction coming for the fake trade. Bring it on. Sweet, sweet, sweet. So uh, Gary Harris and Michael yes. Porter Jr. Yes, for, whatever it is. For uh, Wait wait a second because I don't <laughs> think you're going to like this. For uh, Zach Levine, what are your thoughts? Wow. Um, no, no, don't do that. What are, you, what are you talking about, Michael? First of all, I think Chicago says no, don't they? You think Chicago says? I think... Hmm. Like, Porter's pretty flawed as a player. You know, he's a pretty tough fit, and I think that Zach has generated enough of a fan. I mean, it's kind of a tough situation for them because they're going to have to treat him like a franchise player going forward. That all-star selection is going to kind of solidify him there. And, I mean, Gary Harris isn't really doing much for you if you're the Bulls. I think that you'd rather sell Levine jerseys than deal with those other two. I think that, well, I think, you know, Michael Porter Jr. lets you reset a little bit as an organization, but, like, I just feel like Chicago is heading into the exact same situation they were in with Jimmy, almost. Like, when Zach Levine hits free agency in the summer of 2022, like, you know, are you just going to give him the max? You're not, like, you're still a rebuilding organization, and I think that the money they're about to spend this summer, potentially, when they have a lot of cap, I don't know. So, like, Chicago... Like, I could see them moving on from Zach Levine, maybe not right now at this moment, but before they have to re-sign him, um, maybe get a little distance from the All-Star appearance. But he's been terrific, and I just would love to see him next to Jokic and with Jamal Murray. Like, I just think that that would be, man, that would be an unguardable offense right there. 
Um, yeah, it would be pretty wild. I mean, they'd also just be loading up on what they're good at, you know, and then not addressing what it. they're bad at. And that, that could it. be that could be a little bit of a trick. Um, I think Denver would also be nervous about bringing him on because of what you're describing, the need to pay him, right? I think Denver's been playing Moneyball for years and years and years. They've given out two big contracts to Jokic and Murray. Do they have the stomach for a third max level contract? And now you're just, you know, basically having minimum level guys around them. I'm not sure I see it. I get where you're going with that, though. I do feel like if they could find a way to upgrade Harris, it would be amazing um, for their big picture. I'm just not sure they're going to be able to do that at the deadline. Just to throw in a couple other teams, I think that do need to make moves here. I would say the LA Clippers we mentioned earlier. Um, There's going to be a little pressure on that front office to do something. They made an awful lot of moves at last year's deadline, you know, going to grab Morris, Reggie Jackson, and so forth. I think that it probably won't be as busy as that, but they need something. They need a little spunk. And then the other team I think that should be interested in being buyers of the Dallas Mavericks, um, just because mm. of their cap situation. And, you know, they've got a little momentum here coming positively. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they crack into the top six in the not-too-distant future in the Western Conference. And, you know, they've got some holes in their lineup pretty obviously. It's kind of been the Lucas show and Porzingis shows up every once in a while around him. So I would be trying to be buyers if I was Dallas as well. Can I quickly posit a question for you, to you? Um, do you think that LaMarcus Aldridge would fit in either of those places? Well, you know, he's from Dallas. And so there was always rumors, mm-hmm. even dating back years and years, that that's where he would land. Um, there would be minutes available for him. I don't really trust Porzingis late game defensively. I actually think I trust LaMarcus more. Um, so there Yikes. could be min- uh I know that's what I mean but there there could definitely be minutes available for him in Dallas. Um in terms of the Clippers, I mean I think they already have LaMarcus Aldridge. His name is Serge Ibaka. Mm. Yeah, man, I just I have LaMarcus pencil like if I had to pick a team that LaMarcus has his eyes on, I I feel like man, I feel like the Clippers would be such a good fit for him. Reunite with Kawhi, unfinished business. Let's go. Yes, it seems like it was a great pairing the first time around. Let's <laughs> let's race to do it. Uh, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Let's uh, let's wrap this up today, Michael. With on a kind of a somber note, I'm sure you saw it earlier this week. Uh, Miami Heat center Myers Leonard uh, made a comment on a live video game stream that was anti-Semitic in nature. It was kind of part of a trash talking exchange, I guess, with another player. Um, there was an NBA investigation about that. The league announced today that Myers Leonard will be fined $50,000 and suspended from all uh, heat facilities and activities for a week um, for making that comment. Um, Adam Silver called it inexcusable and hurtful. Myers Leonard, of course, came out and apologized uh, for it. And the Miami Heat um, essentially said, hey, you're away from us indefinitely while we sort of sort this out. I'm curious about the kind of longer-term fallout here, Michael. I mean, obviously, it's a completely inexcusable comment, regardless of the context. I think in his apology, he was saying he didn't know the full meaning of it, if I'm not mistaken, or he didn't mm. he didn't completely understand um, exactly what he was saying. Uh, I'm not sure you can kind of play that one uh, with, with that type of word and, and expect people to completely be all right with that explanation. It probably is uh, you know, sitting wrong with an awful lot of people out there. What's the long-term fallout from this, Michael? I mean, is this the kind of thing that could alter his career? You know, he's already a player who wasn't playing a lot. He's had some injury issues recently, a lot of DMPs in last year's playoffs. This is going to stick to him, I would imagine, and and rightfully so. I mean, it's a very hurtful comment. Like, is this going to end his career? Do you see him back in a Heat uniform ever again? Is someone else going to give him a shot to start next season? Are we just not going to hear from Myers Leonard until next year's training camp? Like, how does this play out? I don't know, because this feels 
it feels very first of all i mean like it's abhorrent what he said but it feels almost like without precedent in the in the sense that he said this thing, this word um like quote unquote off the clock he's like he's not in a game or anything so you can't really compare it exactly in an apples to apples situation to you know when kobe um made homophobic language during a game and was fined or uh, Joachim Noah did the same thing or, or Rajan Rondo did the same thing. Um, and they were all fined, I believe, um, for, for, for saying, you know, terrible things. Um, well, and maybe his, game. yeah, maybe his defense would be, look, this is just a different type of game. And it was exactly the same heat of the moment type of thing. And I just lost my mind. I mean, <laughs> I, I could see that being like an argument that someone would try to make, but I'm with you that it doesn't really hold water, especially when they're not your main employer, right? No, and if you did use that excuse, I mean, you have you have bigger issues. <laughs> I think that that's clear. Um, but like, I don't know. I like, I don't know if if this is the end of his career. I mean, we're talking about someone who, I mean, first of all, it's like you know, this guy was benched basically in the bubble by the team that went to the finals after they benched him, right? So it's not like he's an impact player to begin with. And I don't know, like, you you kind of add it to just, like, you know, he's the only guy who stands during the national anthem, which has been said ad nauseum since this, this development came out. And, I mean, personally, like, I, I think back to that interview he did with Inside the NBA with his, where he kind of explained himself, and they brought his brother on. His brother serves in, served in the military. And I just, I don't know, this is maybe a little off topic, but I just didn't, that didn't sit well with me at all that, you know, when we were talking about social justice, the, the guy who gets the interview is the white guy who stands during the national anthem, that was kind of weird to me, but um, but yeah, I just I, I don't I don't know if this will be the the end or should be the end. But I did see a, a, a an Instagram post from the Miami Heat, which was a quote by Udonis Haslam, basically just being like, "We don't tolerate that type of language," and so it would seem to me that, um, you know. Myers Leonard is, is is still in the union, and uh, he has his rights as an employee for sure. Um, but I, I am interested to see just kind of how the Miami Heat organization deals with him. It seems to me like they want no part moving forward, and I don't see why a team would like want to sign him. He's like he's not really someone who can help you win anyway you know what I, like i just so this could be the end and frankly when you use that type of language and then you kind of have this bogus excuse um in your apology it's really hard to feel sorry for someone like that yeah so he's making 9.8 million this year 10.2 million next year but it's a team option so he's absolutely a trade candidate had he not said this where they're just going to use his salary to match for somebody and bring him back you know you could see a situation where Basically, his contract gets traded for somebody at the deadline. The team that is trading for him just abruptly waves him, and then now he's a, a free agent. Um, or they just keep him throughout the rest of the regular season, pay him, and then you know this summer he's a free agent because they don't pick up his option. And then he's going to have to kind of figure it out from there. Um, this is just a situation where, like, quote-unquote, very online caught up to him, right? Like, did he need to be streaming that? Like, did he need to be playing this video game? Is there other things that he could have been doing? I mean, I'm sure he's going to be kind of haunted by those types of questions because I really do think this is going to be a career-altering situation for him. 
so by comparison to that Kobe Bryant situation you mentioned earlier where he made the homophobic slur in a game, Kobe was fined $100,000. Myers is fined $50,000 here. Now, obviously, Kobe made a lot more than Myers Leonard did. And I think the NBA is making Myers Leonard go to uh, some sort of, you know, tolerance classes to kind of, mm. you know, learn about the history of the word, presumably, and, and you know, other potentially anti-Semitic comments. Uh, who knows exactly how that's going to go. It just feels like kind of a light punishment, all things considered. And um, I'm sure that his defense is, hey, it was flippant. You know, it was in uh, the course of this video game and everything else. But um, I think everybody, like you said, from Haslam to Adam Silver said it was inexcusable. I don't know if this punishment screams, you know, we're, we're taking you down for inexcusable language, you know? Like, I wonder no. if the real punishment is coming down the road where, you know, other teams are saying, hey, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, you know, good luck yeah. with whatever's next, you know? Yeah, that's 100% it. I just think it's hard to imagine a team releasing um, a statement saying that, hey, we've just signed Myers Leonard. Like that, I just don't think that anyone's going to do that. And yeah, that's the punishment here, I would say. Yeah, the risk-reward calculus is just off, right? If if you're not, you know, it's, it's kind of a... Uh, it is a harsh league, and, and I think the risk-reward punishment is going to be very, very difficult for any teams to justify as they go forward you know, making decisions about him and, and maybe he'll have to go overseas. I'm sure he's got a couple of years of basketball left, uh, I would imagine, you know, because he is relatively young despite some of those injury issues. So we'll just have to kind of see w where it goes for him. But uh, unfortunately for him, that kind of a comment you make flippantly for five seconds, I can stick with you for an awful long time. All right, Michael, we've reached the end of another episode of Open Floor. Guys, let us know what you thought about the trade season preview and let us know which teams we didn't mention or which players you think might be on the move. We're going to double back with more of this conversation early next week. Email us openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Now, Michael's on Instagram and Twitter at Michael V as in Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golver. On Twitter, at Ben Golver. Be sure to go to Apple Podcasts. Find our page uh, by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you get there, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. All right, Michael. Until next week, when this trade stuff is going to be heating up even more, I imagine, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel... It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.